Hello and welcome to The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley. And in this episode, we're talking about the Boston mayor's race featuring incumbent Marty Walsh and challenger Tito Jackson. As is often the case, I'm joined by my distinguished colleague, Peter Kadzis. Peter, the pleasure is mine. No, it's all mine. Perfect. Just like we drew it up. And Peter and I are joined by our WGBH News colleague, David Bernstein, who's known, among other things, for being the first journalist to report that former Mayor Tom Menino was not going to seek re-election back in 2013, also for reporting in Boston Magazine earlier this year that when it comes to non-fatal shootings, the Boston Police Department has struggled mightily to make arrests. David, good to hear your voice. Glad to be with you. Our premise is pretty straightforward in this episode. We just had the first debate between Marty Walsh and Tito Jackson a few days ago. There is a second debate coming up on October 24th at WGBH, hosted by Jim Browdy and Marjorie Egan. And while some people would like to see additional debates with Tito Jackson topping the list, by the time November 7th rolls around, Election Day, those two debates may be all that voters get. So Peter and I figured we would ask David what big questions he still has for the two finalists as the campaign clock ticks down. The one I'll say first is what is the right population and the right rate of growth for Boston? Now, was it Mike Ross in the last mayoral race who said Boston should grow to a million? I don't recall exactly. He did expect it to grow. He should uh, have if he didn't because it's a total Mike <laughs> Ross thing to do. You know, we, we talk a lot about housing needs and infrastructure needs and so on. A lot of that depends on how big the city is going to be. How you know, and, and frankly, the city, after decades of stagnation in population, has been growing rapidly. It's grown 10 percent. Uh, in population just since the 2010 census, according to That's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and so it's now up to about 680,000. If it continues at that rate, we'll get to 750, you know, very quickly and then beyond. You know, we should be asking ourselves, do we have room to grow that fast or maybe we have room to grow faster? Um, I don't really know the answer to any of that, actually. I I don't have the answer either, David, but as a city resident, I'm not thrilled with the idea that the city is at the mercy of market forces. But listening to you pose those very reasonable questions made me think that we were in the Soviet Union and that Nikita (laughs) Khrushchev was still calling the shots. I mean, (laughs) we're not a command economy, and the ability to fine-tune urban growth, no matter how welcome that might be by some of us, is going to be pretty elusive. No, I, I think you're right. I think that it's not the job of the city to stop people from coming into the city or we need to stop all you know expansion and, and development that would do that. But I do think if we can say that this building should not be higher than X number of, of floors because of the shadow that it would cast, surely we can say, we, we can ask, should it house 1,200, 2,400 new people, whatever it might be, if we don't have the sort of infrastructure bandwidth to handle that, that many people? Or is that going to mean that when it comes time to put in the the lower-income housing that's supposed to go along with it, we're going to be sort of out of room. If you had to speculate, David, uh, do you think that Marty Walsh and Tito Jackson would offer markedly different answers to that question? Because there's a lot they agree on. You know, they agree that we need Mm -hmm. more affordable housing. They agree we need less crime. They agree we need better schools. But Tito Jackson thinks those goals are really far away from being realized and the need's incredibly acute. Walsh is the incumbent, naturally thinks that uh, things are on the right track, but 
not quite there yet. Do you think that they would have a similar vision for growth? Well, I think that Marty Walsh's vision generally of growth through the the plans that the city has put out, you know, the Boston 2030 and that sort of thing, I think that he thinks that, you know, that it's probably a good thing for the city to be growing uh, faster now than it was in previous years. I think that he sees the the advantages in that. Um, I think that Tito would emphasize some of the the problems, some of the thought that has to go into it. Uh, maybe, you know, in retrospect, before we started expanding the South Boston waterfront as fast as we did, maybe we needed to have a better plan for the traffic there, you know, or or the public transportation and so forth. Yeah. I mean, you said a number of things that spurred thoughts for me, David. I'm not sure we, meaning, you know, the city of Boston, developed anything there. Again, market forces sort of pushed them forward. And my, my God, we do know that traffic is messed up enough. But there seems to me to be an internal contradiction to some of Tito's positions, um, his larger overarching position. His vision of the city needs to have economic growth, but that growth is likely to displace part of his core. I mean, gentrification, if looked at a certain way, is going to hurt his core constituency in Roxbury. You know, I think Tito's got this intellectual dance he has to square between larger growth and gentrification. Go ahead, Adam. You Peter, look like you have something to I say. I am perplexed. I'm just not sure that I see the tension in terms of whatever Jackson's position is on growth with his concerns about gentrification. What's the dance you see him having to do? Maybe I phrased it poorly. I think Tito Jackson, for all his good intentions, may overestimate the city's ability to regulate what goes on, unless you slow things down. In terms of development on the South Boston waterfront, the BRA planning process and development process, it is so multifaceted and painstaking that I feel like my sense is, and David, I'd love to get your take and Peter, yours as well, that if the city had wanted to manage the incredibly rapid development in that neighborhood in a different way, whether it was size of buildings, overall aesthetic of buildings, uh, the the steps that buildings were going to be forced to or that builders were going to be forced to take to make sure that they were ready for things like climate change and sea level rise, they could have done that. It's just not the way they chose to do it. No, no, I wouldn't argue with that. I, I wouldn't argue with that. And, you, you know, we have the peculiarities of the late Mayor Tom Menino, who, when it comes right down to it, did pretty much whatever he damn well wanted. Um, well, that's right. And, you know, the South, uh, I could talk forever about that waterfront. But to Peter's objection about, you know, how much role does the city play, I think the Haymarket development, to me, a very important piece of development for how the city's going to connect together and everything, you know, that could be pushed in one direction to have a whole bunch of new people living in that neighborhood, or it could be really, you know, as it currently has been, which is, you know, more uh, industrial business uh, and so forth. So, uh, you know, how you do that, those development decisions by the city does have an effect on how many people live in a particular neighborhood. David, point well taken. But pardon my cynicism. When, <laughs> when, there's, when there's zoning that the mayor doesn't like or that a powerful person doesn't like, as in the, the relatively small Allendale project in Jamaica Plain, mm. you override or you change it. 
your larger That's point, point, your larger point is an important one, and I'm probably being overly cynical. All right, let's go on to that. question number two and see if we have the same dynamic where Peter Kadzis <laughs> tells David Bernstein he's wrong, and I try to tell Peter that he's wrong. I'm overstating, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's my, my mo. He's right. You're, you're, yes, yes. I took <laughs> grotesque license with that. David Bernstein, what is your I, second I, question? I never expect uh, to be agreed with by Peter or or anyone else, frankly. So uh, that doesn't bother me in the least. My second question uh, is. How much money is there really to build and upgrade the Boston schools? Do you mean, David, let me pose a question to you. Mm -hmm. Before or after closing and consolidating schools? That's part of it. How much, uh, you know, that can be done in different ways to try to raise money or or save money. Um, Marty Walsh, you know, put forward this build BPS plan which just sort of randomly said, let's spend a billion dollars. And, and, and we'll... I uh, with that. That sounds and, like a good we'll, round number. Right. And, and we'll get it from... We'll get most of it from the, the Massachusetts School Building Authority. And then, no, we need to do more. Okay, well, we need to find a way to get more money. Let, can we be realistic than just saying, hey, let's have a billion dollars? Peter Kansas. Well, <laughs> David, asking... Boston politicians to be realistic. (laughs) Heaven knows you're an optimist. However, my snarkiness aside, this is an issue that goes back four years ago. And I must say that both John Conley and Marty Walsh, when they were candidates for mayor, had pretty similar positions, if I remember correctly. Back again when Menina was mayor, I remember when Carol Johnson, as superintendent of schools, announced the closure of, was it nine schools? It wasn't a lot. Mm. And the, the holy hell that ensued from that. Boston has known that at some level, we're going to have to close and or consolidate some schools. And it strikes me that Tito Jackson dances around this and or has his head in the sand, and the mayor is less than forthcoming about it. I understand why, by the way. I mean, it's a very emotional subject when you talk about changing where your kid physically goes to school. But this goes back to the Menino years. Peter, if Marty Walsh is reelected, do you expect there to be a big program of school closures or consolidation in his second term? I don't know if I'd say big, but I would answer your question, yes. All right. With an eye on the clock, we have to move on. We have to move on to question (laughs) three from David Bernstein. Uh, We've got how big should Boston get? How much money can really be spent to build and upgrade Boston's public schools? And, David, what is question numero tres? On issues relating to the structure and effectiveness of the police department, who should we listen to other than those on the BPD payroll. David, I got two questions for you. Does Mayor Walsh listen to multiple voices from inside the BPD when it comes to how the department is doing and what it might need to do better? Or does he simply listen to the commissioner and let the voices filter up to him through the commissioner? I think he does trust the commissioner a great deal. Uh, but I think he has a, a lot of people who who he hears from. And um you know, has conversations with. Okay. Um, My second question for you is, if Marty Walsh came to you and said, hey, David Bernstein, terrific question. You floated on that <laughs> last episode of the Scrum. Who are the people who I should be listening to from outside the BPD? What names would you suggest? 
Frankly, there are some former law enforcement people who now specialize basically in uh, doing benchmarking studies between different police departments. And I, it's not that you don't want to listen to the BPD. Obviously, you know, they're the ones who know the most about it. But you also need to balance that with some outside eyes and localize, you know, people in the, in the community who have spent a lot of time with this. Let, let me just float a couple of names past you. St. Brendan's Parish, Ward 16 in Dorchester. That is the ground zero for Marty Walsh's support. It's, mm-hmm. it's an area rife. Uh, rich with Boston police officers, their family, their relatives, yep. also yep. firemen. And I think that the mayor listens to the BPD over and above anyone else because they are part of his political base. Remember that. Ward 16, Dorchester, St. <laughs> Brendan's Parish. David, any uh, sense I of who, I don't disagree with that. Any sense of who Tito Jackson is turning to on issues involving policing? I get the sense that within the department, the folks with MAMLIO, the uh, uh, Massachusetts Association the, of Minority uh, Law Enforcement Officers, well, d- well done, Maybe. sir. I know that you know that he has relationships, uh, I believe, with with some of those folks, and obviously he has a lot of relationships with community leaders, uh, particularly uh, in his district of Roxbury. But I think uh, you know throughout the city. You know, this has been an issue where he's been involved uh, in the city council looking at at public safety, uh, you know, across the city. So I'm not saying you want to just listen to the heads of a couple of black churches about, you know, what should be done, because they have a very particular skewed interest, too. Bruce Wall could get that state of emergency, possibly. (laughs) You know, he's worth listening to, but he's not not the only one to listen to. I think that you need some more you know, people who can really do benchmarking, people who have studied a number of different police departments who can come in and say, all right, when the when the BPD says that this is not realistic, they're not being realistic. No, and, and I think the city of Boston has been, has enjoyed a period of real calm in terms of the Boston police compared to other cities. And mm-hmm. heaven knows, I hope it go, goes on. But, um, you know, the odds are at some point something's going to flare up to make this an issue again. All right. On to question four. So far from David Bernstein, we've got how big is Boston going to get? I'm paraphrasing here loosely. How much money (laughs) is there really to build new schools or make the existing ones better? Who would the candidates listen to when it comes to matters of policing that is not in the Boston Police Department? David, what's question number four? Where are the ethical lines from the old Boston machine politics to new Boston. That sounds really yeah. interesting. Could you explain, <laughs> expand a little more on that? Marty Walsh and, and really almost everybody in Massachusetts politics and Boston politics came up through the vestiges of the old, what remains of the old Boston machine politics. And there's clearly a new Boston politics that doesn't quite accept all of what the, the old Boston politics used to do. Patronage is not, you know, allowed in the same kind of way. Busting people to, you know, and intimidating them to use the union is not necessarily looked at the same way. And, and even appearing in your own ads, you know, the, the public service ads, you know, that Tim Cahill got in some trouble with. The problem is that as the standards have clearly shifted, but as those standards have not really been defined by anybody, you now have 
I would argue you have people throughout the city government and the state government and also out in the population who don't know what the rules are. Well, and you, know, you also what have are we allowed things, to do? You have things happening that should raise eyebrows. Like, for example, uh, when when Chris uh, Cohan worked to advance the IndyCar bid in City Hall, and I believe David, did he have a stake in the IndyCar event? That w- that's been reported. I yeah. don't know the the details on bare that. Bare minimum, but that's been whatever. Reported. Bare minimum, you've got a guy who helped Marty Walsh seek elected office, who then goes in to try to advance a project, and mm-hmm. I think in part because. The reforms that Marty Walsh promised when it comes to ethics, like, for example, lobbying disclosure, because that Mm. stuff has not come to pass, uh, there's maybe a lot more shadows in which things that shouldn't necessarily happen can still happen. There was the suggestion slash promise that there would be more clarity. I've yet to see that clarity. And just yeah, as a, just as a snarky aside, I think the mayor is really lucky that IndyCar never came to pass because uh, there'd be a heck of a lot of stuff of real interest to us in the media. Yeah. Yeah. Where has the attorney general been, whether it was Martha Coakley or whether it's the current attorney general who recently endorsed the mayor? That's right. Now, everyone seems to forget that um, – you know, we have two members, you know, fairly high up in the administration under a federal indictment. Now, that indictment is may well prove to be a stretch. We're talking Ken Brissett and Ken Tim Brissett, Sullivan. who was still Tim Sullivan, who yep. are still on the city payroll. Paid administrative leave, right? Which, which could be considered by some cynical people as a, as a way of keeping them on the reservation. I, I would certainly agree with that. And you also haven't seen the mayor be particularly uh, uh, aggressive on policing his own underlings. You know, he hasn't been holding people out as examples or, you know, firing someone for for doing anything wrong. Um, And not just Marty, but, you know, people before him and people who run other offices. Of course, there's the prominent exception of Felix Arroyo the Younger, right? How does that fit into this? The Walsh administration's sense of timing (laughs) did not fail them. (laughs) No, no, it's true. But, you know, but again... I think that in terms of what, what the allegations are, are a little more clear cut. I think people understand and you know and went through. That's a good point. Job Here's training. something you just do not do. Yeah. Now, now there are disputes about what actually happened and whether he's been falsely accused on some of it. And good so point. On. So I don't want good to get point. into and all that. But the basic idea of if you did this, you can't work here. You know, it was probably there was probably a session on that. But is there a session on? Well, can you suggest that that the concert that's going to be on the City Hall Plaza, you know, suggests that they should use union labor or is and that if so, how far? forcefully and or, or why not? If if you're going to require it, why not say so up front right away? That's right. And we just had this thing where where and I sort of blew up on Twitter uh, about this and Facebook. You had this situation where uh, Sal de Macy was oh. receive, receiving an award from a North End group, uh, a, you know, a Good Public Citizen Award, Lifetime Achievement Good Public Citizen Award. And Marty Walsh went and participated in this. And I think Marty Walsh is very ethical, and I think he means well. But he has these old-school mentalities where I worked with Sal. He was a good guy. He did good things, you know. And, and you know, you had Marty, when the convictions came down on the, the probation department patronage, you had him on the air saying that those convictions were wrong. 
he doesn't seem to realize that if you're a citizen of Boston and you look to your mayor saying these things, you think that the government is rigged against you. So, David, Why I got to ask think you, that? if you're a citizen of Boston, uh, if the polls are correct, you're not actually that bothered by Marty Walsh saying those things or, or allowing those uh, ambiguities to continue to exist or raising those questions, whatever the right cliche would be, because, right. you know, the polls show him with a high approval rating and suggest he's in a very strong position running against Tito Jackson. It, do people maybe not care as much about that stuff as you're suggesting they do? I think that part of it is that they don't know that it can be different than it is. I think that that's part of it. They're accustomed to thinking that there's a certain amount of machine politics and rigging of business at City Hall, particularly among the older voters. If you remember <laughs> so, James so Michael I'd... Curley, then maybe you're... <laughs> right, right. Things or even don't know so who he is. Comparison. So thus far from David Bernstein, we have, I believe, four burning questions for Marty Walsh and Tito Jackson. How big should Boston get? How much money is there really to build or upgrade schools? Who are you going to listen to when it comes to the BPD outside the BPD? What are the ethical lines separating old machine-style politics from the new Boston? And fifth and finally, David, what is your closing question for these two? I'll go with this one. Uh, Where are we going to serve the most problematic, needy people in Boston? You know, we now have a situation where you know most of the people who need methadone clinics need to come to one area of town. Um, halfway houses are in certain places, but not others. Rehab beds. Uh, a lot of the needs, mental health needs that we need, the halfway houses, uh, the, the people coming out of uh, jails and pr- prisons, these are only going to increase over time um, as the city grows and becomes more compact that we We need to have more places available, in my opinion, or maybe it's the right thing to do to say, let's have them all in these couple of places. You know, you think, uh, Peter, that it's tough to sell people on closing of schools. Yeah. Uh, Opening (laughs) opening a methadone clinic and a halfway house uh, in your neighborhood is even tougher. So good point. Uh, And I think, David, that um, sad to say it's probably going to become even more necessary as the sort of Dickensian cuts that you know, the GOP will foist on the federal government as it filters down to Boston. David, let me ask you, my sense is that Marty Walsh's current position on this question of location, or at least one of his big positions, is long-term, it's good that Long Island had to be closed down because now the individuals who used to stay out there, sure, you may see them on Methadone Mile, you may see some of them looking haunted or using Uh, or perhaps even overdosing in some cases, but many of them are going to be able to stay near where they will be able to go and get treatment and get better. They're not put off and out of sight and out of mind. They're right here in the city's midst, and they're going to be able to access crucial services. I think that's a fair paraphrase. What do you think Tito Jackson's position is on where people who are grappling with the problems that you've talked about should be housed and treated? Remember, Tito Jackson, his district in Roxbury contains a lot of the areas where people need the services, people are getting the services, where where the services are sort of crammed together and creating problems for for other residents. Um, So he knows a lot about the effects of the current policies and ways of doing things. I think that he would like to see the city as a whole share much more uh, of the burden 
of those things. But I think he also understands that if people are going to be living in one part of town, you know, you don't want them taking two buses and a train to get to one place where they need resources and, you know, two more buses to get to the next one. Yeah, because the longer you have to uh, go, the less likely you are to, to do it, right? Right. I, I mean, look, I think both of them are well-meaning. I think that as with a lot of these issues, Marty Walsh has been putting them off to deal with them until after re-election. And so I think that, that we'll see a lot more from him on specifics on this. And I think that Tito Jackson is very sympathetic and understands the need very well. But I'll leave it to him to, to talk about specific yeah, l- solutions. Let me just give our listeners a, a, a hint of how complicated this can become. Who would really think that the Boston Public Library is a de facto deliverer of maybe not services, but of shelter to junkies and homeless and people with addiction problems? Um, and the library, frankly, does a pretty good job of it in a, a low-key mm-hmm. sort of way. I just mean that gives you an idea of how complicated this is. All right. On that downbeat but very apt note. We're going to have to call it an episode. David Bernstein, thanks for taking the time to talk through this stuff. Yeah, it's great. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, Peter Kadzis, good to have you here as always. Great to be here. And as always, thanks to everyone out there who listened. You can find The Scrum on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and barring some unfortunate technical malfunction online at blogs.wgbhnews.org slash scrum. You can also find Peter and me on Twitter. I'm at Riley Adam. He's at Kadzis. Feel free to tell us what we got right or what we got wrong. By the way, David Bernstein, I know everyone already follows you on Twitter, but what's your handle again? D. Bernstein. There it is. You can also email us at scrum at wgbh.org. Our engineer is Gary Mott. Our producer is Doug Sugartz. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.